Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to All Stats Aren't We, a podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over goings-on at Elland Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm John McKenzie, the Mikel Arteta of the podcast, not as smart as he seems and slowly being figured out, and I'm joined by the quarter-zone shot of the podcast, Tom Woodhead, who cares about long-term physical well-being. And finally, the international break of the podcast. Thank goodness it's finally over. It's Joe Hill. Joe, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Um... This is going to be a, a vastly unpopular opinion straight off the bat, but um, <laughs> as much as the international break is completely unnecessary um, for COVID reasons, there have actually been one or two games that I've enjoyed watching over the past sort of 10 days. Um, so it's not been too bad for me, actually. I haven't really watched any games apart from the Scotland uh, playoff final, which was, I don't know whether or not that was a good game or not, but I suppose <laughs> it was important. It'd be nice to see them in the in the Euros, whenever that happens. Um, Tom Woodhead, how are you? Yeah, I'm, I'm not bad, and congratulations to proud Scott, John McKenzie, and another <laughs> proud Scott, Liam Cooper, for uh, you know, their part in that famous victory. Yeah, I'm good. It's been nice to have a break after those two 4-1 defeats, to be honest. Um, if you're just getting battered, well, if you're losing 4-1 every week, it gets a bit depressing after a while, so it's been nice to yeah have a little bit of break from that. Yeah, it seems so long ago now, doesn't it? Um, I'd almost forgotten about it, but thanks for reminding me. <laughs> right, before we get into the Arsenal preview, because that is what this podcast will be, uh, let's just cover a few of the news items. At the moment, nothing is happening, so all of our news items are just injuries. So um, the important news being Rodrigo being back. Um, obviously, that's good news. How are we feeling about that? We've obviously missed... Um, having that spark of creativity in the middle. Uh, Tom, how, how are you feeling about Rodrigo being back? Yeah, I think it's really important. Um, uh, I, I think it's clear that we know now that we just look a better team when he's playing. So it's very important that he's back and there shouldn't be any kind of reacclimatizing process in terms of coming back because he wasn't actually injured, was he? So yeah, I'm, I'm hoping he can come back firing again. Calvin Phillips, as we alluded to in the intro, is taking um, a cortisone shot in his shoulder in order to play this weekend, hopefully. How do we feel about the time that we've missed Phillips um, 
Joe, how how do you do, do you think that Phillips coming back will be really important for us? I think it will be in the sense that um, it will just put our minds at rest in terms of who's going to play in that position. Um, I think we've struggled the past couple of weeks, or well, the past couple of games, um, putting Click there, putting Strauch there, you know, and then do we play Shackleton? And there's just been a, lots of uncertainty. And at least if Phillips is back, we know he's definitely going to be playing there. And then there's fewer positions to to worry about. So from that point of view, um, I think it will be a good thing to see him in the starting eleven again. I, I'm interested to see how he does. I think we potentially played him too much um insofar as we know he had that injury over the summer as well uh, ended ended the season missing out and he i don't think he's looked as good this season as he has um at the, at the at obviously at the the peak of his time last season uh understandably it's a, it's a lower division right so that's going to impact it but it will be interesting to see um how how he comes back in and whether or not um if we can get him up to fitness um if he can make a big difference to us the other injury um, to talk about is obviously Diego Llorente, that holy grail of football, the the unicorn that is Diego Llorente, still seems to be out. Um, will we ever see Diego Llorente in a lead shirt, uh, Tom, is the question. Um, I have no idea. Uh, I think one of the funny <laughs> things with Llorente is that before, he, he had one game where he was on the bench, didn't he? Um, and before that game, he put out a tweet the night before that basically made it out that he was going to be starting. And everyone was like, oh, this is interesting. Bielsa's putting him straight in. <laughs> and then he didn't start. And then we've not seen him since. So, um, yeah, does he exist? I don't think I've ever even seen him in any training footage or anything like that. Um, so maybe it's like a tax avoidance scam or something. <laughs> Yeah, I think the only time that Leeds fans have actually seen him play is when he played for Spain um, in in the game after he signed, and that was that was the game he got the injury in. So, um, yeah, Adam Forshaw, Mark two. Um, here we go. Joe, you wanted to talk a little bit about the five subs in the Championship. Um, I guess it's in the EFL. Um, so they're introducing five subs uh, in games this season in the, in the Championship in in particular. It's not happened in the Premier League. How how do you feel about the five subs rule? Yeah, I thought this was a really interesting uh, thing that came out this week. Um, it seems like lots of clubs uh, in the Championship were for increasing it to five subs. Um, and I can kind of see why. But um, it's so different in the Premier League. I think I'm in the camp of keeping it at three subs just because there are teams that have incredible squad depth. Um, you know, all the big six teams they just their bench is just incredible on a match day it's probably as good as some of the um some of the starting 11s of the of the bottom half teams so in that sense i think keeping it at three subs will probably benefit the teams like leeds whose bench is often packed with under 23s basically tom i know you have some thoughts on on this yeah i just think um it's really obvious what what's happening here to me it's that the, certainly in the Premier League, the clubs who stand to benefit from it want it because they they per, feel they can personally get ahead, um, and and they're using the well-being of players as some kind of predication or justification for for why it should come in. That you know, it's really cynical. I think. I think it's it's almost it's it's it comes from the same place as Project Big Picture. Like it's it's obviously not on nowhere near the same scale, but it's it's still a power grab. I think and. There's also a certain class of pundit, um, not so much the ex-footballer class, but more the podcasters, I think, like a certain class of um, sort of, you know, more not stat like 
journalists. B-lister. <laughs> yeah, I mean journalists, I suppose, not 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 ex-players who seem to use uh, this idea of player welfare as um, it's it's almost like to make themselves look like they care about about the players. When, as far as you know, how is Jordan Henderson coming off with five or ten minutes to go going to stop him from? You know, is is it going to make that much difference, or is it just going to mean that Liverpool bring on? Um, you know, Shakiri and he scores the winning goal. That's what it's about. It's not about Jordan Henderson's fitness. It's about greater tactical flexibility for Jurgen Klopp. I think. I, 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 I honestly fail to see how an extra two subs is going to impact a, a squad of twenty-five players in terms of fitness. And and uh, uh, and and you know, I can see possibly that they might want to introduce something in terms of if a player has an injury then you can make an extra substitution and ob- obviously they don't want to do that cuz it would be abused like it gets abused in rugby but um i i just think it's 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 just more grist to the mill of everything getting better for the big clubs and worse for everyone else yeah unless anyone thinks that we do care about player welfare here at all starts aren't we <laughs> we're clearly against it yeah yeah get Forshaw back in Fewer fewer subs, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, none. Let's go back to the good old days when, yeah. if you got an injury, that was it. You well, I'd, I'd scrap the offside offside law as well. So, <laughs> <laughs> I'd I'd scrap all laws. Let's go back to village to village, hand to hand combat. Absolutely. Right, Arsenal at the weekend. It's uh, it's it's a fun game. This I think because of because of the fact that we played in January, um, and this is sort of if to, to me anyway feels like the return leg, but with a lot more um, water passing under the mill since it happened. Um, I'm kind of interested to see how far we've come um, and how far they've come since then. I had the pleasure of talking to Lewis Ambrose, a content creator at One Football and Ars Blog, and this is what he had to say about Arsenal. So, Lewis, hi, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm, um, you know, all right. I'm enjoying the international break. Two weeks without watching Arsenal. <laughs> yeah, and uh, someone who works in the football media a lot, you're probably taking a bit of a break yourself, are you? Are you managing <laughs> to chill out a bit? That's what I do in international breaks anyway. Yeah, I, mean, I guess there's a half of you, you're happy to not be running around hectically with loads of things to do, but the other half, you're sort of, the days dwindle by a little bit by the end of the international break mm. at least. So I, I'm glad for the, the break that we've had, but I'm also quite looking forward to football, proper football beginning again. <laughs> So how are you feeling about Sunday? Let's start there with Arsenal versus Leeds. <laughs> we don't talk about that. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it's the old, you're only as good as your last game adage. I think if mm. this was, if the international break had come after Arsenal would won at Old Trafford, um, then as as Arsenal fans, if I can speak on behalf of all of us, uh, I think everybody would be itching to to watch the team again and be really looking forward to this, another test, another game away from home against a team that's played well so far this season. Uh, but as things stand, we go into the game having been battered um, by Aston Villa and the mood just is, yeah, it was completely turned on its head by that. Um so I would say I'm approaching the weekend with some apprehension. I suppose if it's any consolation to you, we're feeling pretty much the same way after being battered <laughs> twice in two games. So there's lots to play for in the in the terms of we've just been battered stakes, but we'll see how that goes. We're obviously eight games into the Premier League season now and Arsenal are in 11th place. This isn't exactly how it's supposed to be going, is it? Uh, no, it's not how it's supposed to be, I guess, um, if it, 
if there is a way that it's supposed to be. Um, and it's not been the way that it's supposed to be for a few years now. And every year you sort of go into this new season thinking, uh, well, maybe, you know, they maybe they, they made a couple of good signings and things are going to turn around. The managers maybe had the time that he needed. And we're just sort of back where we were in, and not even when Arsene Wenger left, but it feels like we're a little bit stuck where we were in maybe his, his last couple of seasons as well where a lot of work is needed to be done for the club to to return to this sort of standing in in English and European football of being a a Champions League regular at least. Um, Yeah, 8th, 11th right now. Uh, I think it's obviously it's early in the season and lots of teams have dropped lots of points and the league table looks very condensed at the minute. But it's not quite going how I think a lot of people hoped and expected it would go this, this season. Do you think Arsenal are underperforming? Do you think they should be doing better than they are? I'm, I guess I'm interested in where you would place the Arsenal squad relative to their league position. Do you think they should be higher than, than they are? I think Arsenal should be higher than they are, but I don't think Arsenal should be much higher than they are. I think, we, as I said, the last few seasons, we've sort of gone into the season thinking, right, like, yeah, hopefully this is it. This is the year we're back into the Champions League because 20 years of Champions League football, is it's... It's very spoiled <laughs> to just think you sort of belong there, um, but it is obviously you do have the that feeling that that's where the club should be. I guess Leeds fans have been through something similar themselves, you know, belonging in the Premier League, and we are a Premier League club kind of thing. Um, and and congratulations, by the way, that you are again. Uh, but for us, it's yeah, we in our, in our eye, we are a Champions League club that just doesn't play Champions League football anymore. Um, I think the expectation was that we would at least challenge very strongly for third or fourth this season. And if performances keep going as they have been going lately, it that's starting to look more and more unlikely. And we might be in a similar scenario to last season where we're battling to maybe finish seventh and scrape into the Europa League again. Let's talk about the transfer business this season. Are you pleased with the transfer um, dealings that Arsenal had in the summer? I think it was an okay summer. I think going into it personally, uh, I thought that Arsenal needed a, a creative midfielder more than anything else, a player to, maybe not someone who's going to score 10 or 15 goals or even get 10 assists, but just somebody to link everything up in the in the final third and between the middle and the final thirds. I think that's a, a gaping hole in the squad and, and in the team. Aside from that, I mean, I guess they signed Willian half thinking he could do that sort of role, but he's been really poor so far. To sign Willian and Cedric on free transfers, um, players that don't really improve first eleven looks like quite a mistake at the moment. Uh, Gabriel and Thomas Partey have both been coming and done really, really well. So I'm very happy with that. I think we look a lot stronger defensively. Uh, the midfield is definitely strengthened by having Partey in it. But... I'd still think that, yeah, probably heading into the summer, that one key position that I would have targeted a player for probably wasn't addressed. So it's sort of, it could have been better, but it wasn't bad. feels like people are willing to give Mikel Arteta the benefit of the doubt so far this season. Why do you think this is? Obviously, winning the FA Cup was was huge for for the fans after a, a miserable year or two. Um it was big for just that sort of belief in it. it. Buys you time. It buys you time to to sort of implement what you're going to implement. Nobody's going to, especially not the way that we'd we'd done the last couple of years before. 
nobody's going to a turn the team around overnight, and then nobody's going to be hounding out the manager when you've off the back of that gone and, and lifted a trophy a few months into your managerial career. Um, we obviously just about beat Liverpool at, at the end of the last season, and then beat City and Chelsea on the way to winning the FA Cup, and then Liverpool again uh, on penalties in the Community Shield, and I think those wins against big teams earned a lot of capital. And I also think people are tired at Arsenal of arguing about the manager all the time. Um, If Unai Emery was in charge of this team right now and we scored nine goals in eight games and lost four games so far this season in the league, I think there'd be questions already again about if he should, should be sacked or who should replace him and how soon that could happen. But having an ex player in charge obviously takes a little bit of that away. And I just think, yeah an ex-player who's gone and won the FA Cup quite quickly. And I think people are, are tired after years of arguing about Arsene Wenger and then a lot of fans turned on Unai Emery quite quickly. I just don't think it's a conversation that people really want to have. I think for the most part, it's a credit to the fans that they want to have a bit of patience and see where this goes for once. Let's talk about the tactic side of things then. Tactically, where would you say Arteta's Arsenal are right now? What are the basic ideas behind his team? The clearest thing to see is playing out from the back. There is an absolute non, non-negotiable, we play out from the back and we try and bring teams onto us and then if we can play through that press, there's a lot of space to exploit behind it. So you see, I think uh, Bernd Leno has the, the shortish average pass length in the league. Arsenal have had more touches in their own box than any other team in the league. Um, it, and it's not even close uh Leno, I was looking up earlier, Leno had has had 16% of his passes go over 40 yards um, this season so far in the league. And the next lowest is Man City uh, with 24%. And then Leeds, I think, are around there, 25 26 27%, 8% as well. So there's an absolute insistence that the ball goes short from the back and we drag, we try and drag teams out. That's, that's the hope anyway. Um, players have talked about Arteta drumming into them that they have to attract pressure before playing a pass so it's clear that that's the key thing going forward you see that thing that you see everywhere now with the five players occupying one in each channel two on the flanks one down the center Um, the problem is that Arsenal don't really progress the ball that well so they have a lot of possession in their own half especially in their own third they are very very patient but then the ball moves forward very slowly and even if they do break, it sort of coax a team towards them and break through that press, the ball doesn't move sharply enough to actually take advantage of it afterwards. The five channels are being occupied and the, on the front line, but there's very little movement. There's no rotations. There's very little room, it seems, for individual expression and... That's why we see a, a completely blunt attack at the minute. Um, there's a, I think what I would probably see as, and I don't know, I think it's so hard at the moment to, to ascertain whether it's Arteta's vision of football or if it's feel, if he feels like this is what he can do with these players um, or if he's trying to put them on a crash course of positional play and he thinks it, he can do this quickly and then maybe loosen the straight jacket a little bit in a few months. But... The the games are very, very close. The team overall is very conservative. They don't press very high. They don't take many shots. And 
it feels like the idea is to keep scores low and hope we nick games, which when you're playing Man City and Liverpool, fair enough. But when you're at home against Aston Villa, who have had a very good start to the season, but still, um, when you're playing Aston Villa and playing, I mean, Sheffield United and West Ham, obviously Arsenal should be trying to outshoot those teams and, and blow them away a little bit rather than nicking the game. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? seeing a team play positional play but play it conservatively because we've seen teams like Guardiola's Man City but obviously Leeds play positional play as well and, and they're a very gung-ho side. It it almost seems as though Arteta is, is trying to avoid the problems that Guardiola has sort of accrued during his time at Manchester City whereby his teams do get caught out in defensive transition and I wonder whether or not you thought you know there's signs in Arteta's team but not only that obviously he's trying to develop a new style at Arsenal but also that he's trying to uh, ameliorate some of the problems that he saw in the club that he most recently worked with before Arsenal. Yeah I think that's what it is I think you see so often this they'll build up with three players and there'll be two players sort of as the ball goes into the box there'll be two players just sort of ahead of the back three uh, so often um, and it feels like a, a barricade against any possible counter-attacks. Mm. The problem is that when you've obviously got that many players left behind the ball, you A, don't have many players ready to receive the ball in the box or around the box to create something. Um, but you also lack something in terms of the, the counter-pressing to box a team in high up the pitch. So you see a very passive defence a lot of the time where rather than trying to win the ball back immediately after losing it. They're just trying to shepherd it into not-so-dangerous positions, mm. uh, which over and over again means the team has to collapse. And So often you see Arsenal defending on the edge of their own box, which it's not something Arsenal fans are used to seeing. It's also not something you'd associate with, as you say, a guy that worked under Pep Guardiola and was educated at La Masia and... You know, I'm sure looks up to like Guardiola, uh, Marcelo Bielsa as a yeah, as, as somebody who, who preaches a lot of similarities in his football. Mm. It's a very very strange mix, and the the strangest thing when watching and trying to analyze and comment on Arsenal at the moment is trying to separate what is what are what is uh, what Arteta is actually aiming for, and mm. what's a product of of the squad that he has and the environment. There's a sense of structural flexibility with Arsenal this season. Arteta has used a 4-3-3 slash sort of 4-2-3-1 hybrid as well as the 3-4-3, which is probably the more prevalent formation this season. What logic do you think determines which one of these approaches he's going to take in, in a game? Is there any sort of way that you could look at the Leeds setup and say, oh, I expect Arteta to play this way or that way against it? I think it depends mostly on how much of the ball Arsenal have. If, if and when we have a lot of possession... The, the left centre-back tends to be Kieran Tierney in a, in a back three, and he just sort of becomes a left-back. Um, Aubameyang plays on the left wing, and he comes inside. So you almost get a bit of a 4-4-2 or yeah, a 4-2-3-1 situation. The problem is we, we don't know how the game's going to go. Um, if, if Leeds are pressing really high, um, the, Arsenal will drop into a back three, to break the press but then they'll sometimes shift into a back four when they're building up as well we saw it a lot in the in the FA Cup semi-final against Man City is Kieran Tierney was the left centre-back that day but anytime Arsenal played a goal kick he was just a regular left back uh, and it looked much more like a yeah sort of a, a 4-3-3 if you like and it would depend the it, it really interests me because 
because of Aubameyang's positioning where he's not really a left winger, but he's not really a striker and he'll sort of play in between the two. Uh, I do wonder how how Leeds will set up and how Bielsa will go about getting his his spare man at the back. Um, if that means playing with, with three or with a back four, I think that will be the, the most interesting thing to me. And that will how effectively Arsenal can build up will probably dictate how Leeds end up playing, but also what shape Arsenal end up sort of settling into most of the time. Yeah, it's certainly a tricky one. I've been just watching a few Arsenal games today and trying to work out how much, because it feels like both teams sort of structurally rely on the opposition in order to set up and it feels as though it could go either way um, and, and we could see a fair bit of tactical tweaking through the first half just to make things uh, match up. I don't know if you had any thoughts on that. Yeah, I think, I mean, in terms of how the game will go, we know that Leeds, when Arsenal try and build up, we know that Leeds will press high. Um, I think it will be a real... I think the FA Cup game back in January will be quite fairly indicative of what, what might happen. I think if Leeds pull it off, then they'll box Arsenal in quite easily, uh, which is what Aston Villa did at the Emirates uh, What just over a week ago. If... Arsenal managed to play through the press, then I imagine Leeds will sort of be forced to play a back three and and you'll see much more of what looks like a back four from Arsenal. Um, yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting. Uh, my fear probably is just that Arsenal look far too, much predict- far too predictable and we know how detail-oriented Leeds are and Marcelo Bielsa and his team are. And I think you've been given real blueprints, especially the game against Aston Villa, the games against Liverpool as well, um, of how best to play against this Arsenal side. And it, at least until now, it looks like when somebody does press high and presses well, um, and Manchester United tried to press high, but it was very disorganised and Arsenal played through them quite comfortably, especially with Leeds' man-to-man pressing. If Arsenal then can't, create any overloads and escape that press it could be a very very long afternoon I think Another criticism of Arsenal this season has been their lack of creation in front of goal what do you think has been the cause of this? Um, as I say that sort of that sort of straight jacket that you that I see the, the team stuck in at the moment it just means there's a lack of movement there's a complete lack of rotations anywhere other than building up near their own box uh, as soon as they get into the final third there's very little that surprises you. It's all very predictable. It's all very seemingly choreographed. The only player in recent weeks who sort of broke free of that. And I, I do wonder then if he's the only player who truly understands what Arteta actually wants from him. Um, it's been Hector Bellerin who does a fantastic job of filling, either playing wide and, and telling whoever's outside him, if it's uh, Pepe or usually Willian, to, to fill in inside in the in the half space or Bellerin will tell Willian to keep the width and then drive into the half space himself other than him in in the last few games especially there's been a real lack of movement there are very few players that break lines with their movement I see us as a team almost entirely full of players who expect the ball to come to them and don't move off of the ball either to find it or to create space for for teammates. It's something that just makes us far, far too predictable and and one-paced, and as long as the team's organised, quite easy to defend against, I think. I've really enjoyed watching Joe Willock in the Europa League games, who's played as a sort of 
sort of, I guess, eight, three, three, ten kind of position where he's playing as a number eight on the on the right hand side of a, a four three three, but he's bursting into the box and combining with his winger on his outside. It reminded a lot of fans recently of, of Aaron Ramsey and when he used to play for the club. Um, obviously, the jump from playing against the, the teams who played in the Europa League up to the Premier League is a huge step, but it's been quite disappointing, for me anyway, not to see him put in the side. Because I think, for me, when you talk about Arsenal and the way they attack right now, it's there's just a lot of players who just want the ball to come to them uh, and aren't willing to move to make it happen um, and aren't willing to pose questions to the opposition. A little bit of movement to maybe make a midfielder think or a defender think, should I be tracking him there or is he somebody else's man? And I think that's something this team misses to the extent that it wouldn't even need to be a great player doing it, just somebody doing it would make quite a big difference already. I guess the elephant in the room here is Meza Ozil. And I know a lot of fans are confused as to why Ozil just hasn't f- been fitted into any Arsenal team for 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 a look, good long while. Certainly in the starting eleven, I know that Unai Emery did try and play him a bit. But um, how much of a difference do you think Ozil would make in this Arte- Arteta Arsenal side? Uh, I think he would make some difference because he's well, quite simply a player who can make a difference, who, who can see things and do things that other players just can't do or see. Um, but he also he was playing. Before the the lockdown, he was playing pretty much every game for Arteta, and it didn't have a huge impact. There were a couple of good games uh, that we played. Newcastle, in particular, sticks out, but we weren't creating lots of chances and having lots of shots generally in those games. Anyway, I can't remember if Özil played in that game against Leeds now, but uh, certainly in the Premier League, he was playing pretty much every match, and we still weren't creating loads of shots. So. Uh, yeah, uh, there's a lot going on there. I think um, I, I think we won't ever see Mesut play for Arsenal again. But even if he was out there right now, I'm not sure it would really have much of an impact on the side. Unfortunately, we should talk about injury um, injuries at the moment. Obviously, injuries at the moment can, contains this wonderful like COVID injury list as well. How are you looking uh, player wise at the moment in terms of who will be available on Sunday? Uh, quite good, actually. Touch wood. Um, Thomas Partey got a small injury in the Aston Villa match and had to go off at half time. But he uh, and didn't travel with Ghana for the international break. But he is supposed to be fit, I think, for for the weekend's game. Other than that, there's not really anybody missing. Um, a lot of players who haven't been called up for international duty, and a lot of players who um, who yeah are just somehow at the moment fit uh, there have been a few injuries this season and there are a few long term injuries of players like Callum Chambers has just started to come back and Pablo Marie at centre back as well is on his way back but in terms of the way that we've been lining up recently everybody should be available and so how do you expect the team to line up on Sunday? After that defeat to Aston Villa I'd like to think that quite a few things will change but I don't think they will um, I think uh, it'll be the the sort of 3-4-3 if we want to call it a base formation um, with David Luiz, Gabriel and Kieran Tierney in defence Bellerin and Saka at at wing back, Partey in the middle with it could be any of Ceballos, Xhaka or or Elneny but I think playing through Leeds press I think they'll go for Ceballos and then Willian, Lacazette and Aubameyang 
as the front three. And um, a question that I always ask our guests is, uh, which players on the Arsenal team need to perform well if they are to beat Leeds? The obvious answers. You know, you could go with Partey or or, La- or Aubameyang. Um, I think I would go for Lacazette and Willian because both have been really poor lately and I think Arsenal cannot improve going forward or the, the ceiling to which Arsenal can, could, could reach um, offensively is pretty damn low as long as both of them keep on their current form. So I think at least one of those would have to have a, a good game and yeah, aside from that, Bellerin and Saka, nothing really works at the moment without Bellerin and Saka being involved in it. I never ask for a prediction because, I don't know, football is just wildly variable. But um, what I do ask our guests is how do you expect the game to go? You've already given a bit of an indication of this, but how do you expect the game to unfold on Sunday? I think Leeds will press high. I think that I'm very happy there won't be any fans at Ellen Road spurring them on um, because that would definitely make things a lot harder. Uh, They'll press high and Arsenal will stubbornly um, rightly or wrongly time will tell um, try and play their way out of that uh, and I, I, it's a bit cliched but I just think the first goal is huge uh, I can't see Arsenal the way that they've been attacking lately even against the team as gung-ho as Leeds who don't care if they're 4-0 up and they'll just keep throwing men forward anyway um, I don't see Arsenal coming back from behind against pretty much anybody at the minute so I think if Arsenal score first, then I'd fancy them to to be able to dig in and maybe nick another one, but certainly dig in and and defend what they've got. And if they don't, then I think they could be in a bit of trouble, uh, as we saw against Aston Villa last weekend. Well, Lewis, it's been a real pleasure chatting to you. If any of our listeners want to catch any of the other stuff that you're doing, where's the best place for them to head for that? Um, You can find me on Twitter at LG Ambrose, and you can find what I write on the One Football app or on Arsblog. Well, I hope you can enjoy the game as much as uh, an opposition fan can uh, wish <laughs> that you enjoy the game. Uh, thanks, John. I wish I could say the same. <laughs> when you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. So that was Lewis Ambrose, content creator at OneFootball and Ask blog. Joe, what did you make of that? Weirdly, when I was listening to it this morning, um, I found it quite hard not to be positive about the game. Um, just some of the stuff that Lewis was saying, um, he, you know, just the way that he made out Arsenal this season, he really didn't sound that confident in them. He sort of said um, they don't really progress the ball that well. The ball moves forward really slowly. They don't 
press very high, they're very predictable. And when I'd finished listening to it, I sort of had to remind myself, this is not going to be an easy game. Arsenal are a a quality side, they've got some quality players. Um, But it's really interesting to hear the sort of the mood in the camp um, over there, because I think it's it's very different to what I, I thought it might be, actually. Yeah, it's it's funny because we were both chatting, obviously off the back of some poor results for our for our teams, um, and obviously that influences the way that you think about the the upcoming game. And um, it feels it feels as well that the longer time that you have to sort of cogitate on what's happened, the more you just sort of argue your way into being like this is terrible. But yeah, Lewis was very very negative about the prospect of of playing um, of, of playing Leeds. Do you think that that is uh, just simply f- fan uh, expectation, uh, not not getting your expectations too high, Tom. Or do you think that that Lewis has a fair um, point in in being worried about this game? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think he did seem incredibly dissatisfied. It was extremely on brand for Arsenal, wasn't it? Like, if <laughs> if you were to stereotype a sort of a a tactics writer Arsenal fan, this is what you'd come up with. And I I don't mean to make out that he is a stereotype. That's not a very kind thing to say. But um, yeah. Uh, I don't know. Um, what was the question? <laughs> do you do you feel as though this is a game that Arsenal should be worrying about? I suppose. Yeah, I, c- I can certainly see it from their point of view why they would be worried about it if um, they seem to be worried about um, playing against high energy teams, basically uh, teams that you know get in your face and uh, and that's us, isn't it? So I, c- I can definitely see why why he'd be worried about that. From my point of view, it's. I imagine if I'd given that interview to a you know an Arsenal podcast, I would have maybe sounded quite similar because you know they're playing three four three, and that's been a really hard formation for us to play against, and uh, at various times this season. And I know they play it very differently to Wolves and Leicester, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I can I can certainly see why he would be a bit worried about it. You say that you know three four three has been has been a bit of a bogeyman for us. Um, I suppose that comes down to the fact that the teams that have played in a three four three formation this season have tended to be teams that sit deep and hit us on the break, and yeah, Arsenal aren't going to do that. So how how does that change the way that we we look at this one in terms of we've had we've we, this this season? Let's face it, we've struggled against teams who sit deep. Um, surprise, surprise. Um, I don't know if anyone had realised that this was going to be difficult for us off the basis of last season, but uh, here we are. Um, we've, I, I think we, we had Wolves, they played 3-4-3, they sat back and uh, snaffled the goal late on. Um, Arsenal obviously obviously did the same as well. Um, Palace didn't play 3-4-3, but they did um, sit, sit deeper uh, in the second half. Um, how do we feel about the fact that, that um, Arsenal are going to play into our hands in terms of playing the way that we want to play we we will want them to try and build up give us some sort of uh target to hit on a on a high press and uh i suppose they are going to give us space that we can then exploit how are we feeling about about that joe i mean that definitely feels better uh going into this game than it than it does um playing against a team that's that is going to sit really deep um Lewis seemed to say that they would just relentlessly play out from the back, almost as if there was no plan B. That's just non-negotiable, which is really interesting from our point of view because I think that Leeds can benefit from that. I think the man-to-man marking um, can really come into its own in a game like this, um, as opposed to when a team doesn't even want to hold the ball at all. Um, 
and like Tom was saying earlier, I think just our energy and our sort of um, our high pressing nature will could panic Arsenal a little bit um, if they if they continue to play out from the back again and again and again, and they're getting pressed uh, at such a high intensity. Um, in theory, you know, it could it could play into our hands. What are the general takes on Arteta here? Because I think he's an interesting guy insofar as he's sort of seen as being um, a potentially elite manager for a number of reasons, I suspect. One is that he is young and looks pretty suave. The other is that he spent a lot of his time um, learning under Pep Guardiola um, and functioning as his assistant manager. Um, how do we feel? How do we feel about him now? It's been not far off. He's not far off. Had a, a whole a whole season of games worth of uh, evidence for us to look at. So, so what's your take on him, Joe? I think he kind of has the the Solskjaer effect. Um, Lewis kind of said this as well that if it was Emery by now, people would sort of be calling for him to leave. Um, and I think it's kind of the same thing with Solskjaer in that when you look at where they are with their clubs and what they're doing with their individual players, they're really not getting the best out of them. Um, but for some reason, the fact that they're ex-players, it it's just seems to cloud people's judgment on them. Um, and maybe maybe it's just that they like him as a person and they want to see him as a manager long term and they wouldn't mind having a couple of seasons of sort of uh, getting his tactics up to scratch and getting the best out of the players and then next year or the year after um, challenging for the spots that they want to be challenging. But um, obviously this has a time limit and I think at some point with Arteta it's going to get to breaking point where people say, look, we need someone that's going to get immediate results. We we don't want to look, okay, maybe this season and next season, okay, maybe this season. They, they want something now and I think... Potentially, it could go that way with Arteta. I think the fact that they won the FA Cup um, did save them, like Lewis said. So it's going to be really interesting to see what happens this season if they continue on the same trajectory. Tom Worville of The Athletic put out a graphic yesterday, which is just a 10-game a rolling average of expected goals for and against uh, for Arsenal since, um, I guess, it's near the beginning of Emery's time. Um, and that makes for quite interesting viewing because I think since Arteta came in, there's only been a couple of games um, or a couple of time periods where that 10-game rolling average has seen the goals four higher than the goals against. So, yeah, on an av- on a 10-game rolling average, Arsenal have tended to put up less expected goals than they have conceded, which is, I, sp- I suppose, a worrying trend. And I think the worrying trend is that, um, you know, as time has gone by, yes, it's fluctuated up and down, but there's it's it's still, it it's trending back up a little bit, but this this season has been just as, um, as desperate as the seasons before in that regard. Um, Tom, what's your take on Arteta? Yeah, he's an interesting one. I, um, I, when Joe was saying that he's a bit like Solskjaer, I completely agree from the perspective of Arsenal fans. But I actually think from the point of view of the wider media, um, it's the opposite, really, because everyone is, you know, in the wider media, I think it's taken as read that Solskjaer is not good enough. And uh, I think Arteta gets given the benefit of the doubt a lot more than Solskjaer does um, because he worked for three years under Guardiola, because partly maybe even because he was an intelligent central midfield player as a, as a player rather than a sort of instinctive poacher like uh, Solskjaer was. Um, he, he seems to... People uh, people um, credit him with things and I don't know if there's necessarily always the evidence for it. Um, and that's not me saying that I don't think he's a good manager. He might be a really good manager, but I've... Um, 
it, it feels a little bit like uh, when Villas Boas came to manage Chelsea and he did a sort of okay job, not amazing, and then he got sacked, and then he immediately got hired by Spurs. Was uh, and I sort of feel like if you know if Arteta lost his job, he'd be able to get another job at a mid-table Premier League club. If Solskjaer lost his job, no one's hiring him. Yeah, um, and whether there's enough evidence for that, I'm not sure, but there's definitely um, a difference in perception that's not based on anything in particular. I I think. Yeah, one of the things about Arteta's time at Arsenal is that it seems as though he's tried to make them very I don't want to say make them defensively solid but he's he's definitely had a a worry about about particularly being caught on the break um something that I mentioned in my Yorkshire Evening Post column this week is that um there's there's two things here one is that Arsenal's defense wasn't good enough last season um the other one is that Guard, uh, Arteta spent a lot of time with Guardiola watching Guardiola fall foul of this sort of notion of getting hit on the break um, by by counter-attacks and um, I think uh, as a result of that we've seen him play this 3-4-3 this season and one of the criticisms of this has been that, that Arsenal are just too ambulatory they're too they just they are too rigid and too solid they're not creative enough um, and they're not getting enough chances going forward really they're not creating the chances that you would expect a team to create with players like Lacazette and uh, Aubameyang um, so I wondered what what people's thoughts were on that in, in the sense that I watch Arsenal under Arteta and I just I genuinely find them generally find them quite boring um, he is trying to play a sort of positional style of play like Marcelo Bielsa plays but it doesn't seem to be anywhere near as exciting about that uh, as, as as that. Um, Joe, what do you what do you make of of Arsenal when you've watched them play this season? I do agree with you. I don't think they're that exciting, and I think it's just about finding the balance between attack and defence with the team. Um, I think it's just one of those things um, that if you play on the front foot, you're really attacking. You play a high back line that you are going to get caught on the counter attack and. I'm not even sure if there's any way to combat that, to be honest. I think you just have to accept it as a consequence of your style of football. And I'm sure that there's some Bielsa quotes out there where he he sort of says the same kind of thing, that getting caught on the counter-attack is just a consequence of the way that we play. And sometimes that happens. So in the, Arteta's trying to combat that this season and then he's losing a bit of the attacking threat so it's just about what you, what you want to see from your football and obviously uh, I think I speak for a lot of football fans when I say you want to see attacking football you want to see goals and you want to see playing on the front foot rather than just parking the bus and I'm not saying that Arsenal are parking the bus this season but I'm just saying it's about finding the balance and hmm. maybe from a fan's point of view Arsenal haven't quite hit that balance just yet. Yeah I suppose if you are going to sit sit deep and, and remain solid, there has to be a point at which that is serving something, namely uh, actually getting to a point where you can start thinking, well, now we will start trying to um, add add more goals into our game. And it, it feels to me as though Arteta's time has been, well, we'll give him the benefit of the doubt. He's made Arsenal a little bit more solid at the back, perhaps. I, su- I suppose my question to that, my question to that would be, is the reason that you're solid at the back not just because you're attacking less? You know, if you then start mm. to try and attack more, does that not remove the defensive solidity? Like, I, I, I always think this idea of getting it right at the back first and then going from there, it sort of seems to have that logical flaw to me. But um, mm. the, th- the thing that immediately came to my mind when you, um, when you talked about this was um, when Arrigo Saki left Milan and Fabio Capello took over. 
Um, and it's not quite the same, but because it was, I think it was more that Capella allowed the players a bit more freedom and it wasn't as constrained, but it was a sort of a slightly more pragmatic version of what Saki was doing. And, um, and it, and it did get success uh, in some ways, I think more success than Saki had um, in terms of it being over a longer period of time. Mm. But um, no one remembers that. Well, no one remembers Capello in the same sort of venerational, venerational terms as they do Saki, do they? I guess the the modern day correlate for that is maybe Jose Mourinho, um, because the, I guess the difference between what he's doing and and what Arteta's doing is that Arteta is having to play Aubameyang out on out wide. He has a sort of aging Alexandre Lacazette as a as, as a central uh, striker, whereas with with Mourinho you playing maybe it's harsh to call it sort of um workmanlike football with Hyungman uh, Son and um Harry Kane up front but it does seem as though you can get away with playing this this sort of fairly rigid solid counter-attacking football and then rely on Harry Kane getting a goal in the last 10 minutes against Burnley to dig you out of it um, versus I guess what Arteta's doing which is trying to play at least uh, interesting positional football um, but then in the end not, it not coming off and not having the the clutch players up front to actually pull it off uh, with the exception of probably Aubameyang but as we've said being forced to play Aubameyang out a little bit wider, it doesn't really allow him to do that. Well, I think even even Mourinho himself got has got massively more conservative as he's got older, hasn't he? Like his mm. first Chelsea team were actually quite attacking a lot of the time, um, and then it seemed like after he was at Inter, where he had that success from playing real anti football, it seemed mm. like he, he's defined everything on those terms ever since then. So may, maybe the better comparison is young Mourinho versus old Mourinho. Yeah, yeah, possibly. I don't know. It's, to me, it seems as though it's easier to set up your team defensively than it is to set your team up attackingly. Um, it would seem weird that, that an evolution of a managerial career would be that way. But no doubt we're being um, overly simplistic about it. And I think there would be people that would argue that he is trying to do things differently at, at Spurs. He's certainly trying to press in, in a different way than he has done throughout his career. And uh, But it does feel very much to me as though he is sort of riding the, the wave of having you know, two of the probably most informed strike partnerships or, or however we want to determine them structurally uh, in his team. But this is not a podcast about Spurs. We will we'll be doing that. <laughs> yeah, we will be doing that at some point. But um, I just wanted to talk quickly about the, the FA Cup game that we played in back in on the 6th of January this season. It seems forever ago now, doesn't it? Um, certainly one of the last um, football matches I went to, I feel like. It was certainly the last... No, I don't think it even is the last Leeds game I went to, but um, it's 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 up there, and um, it was a very probably one of my favourite games of last season. Actually, um, it was good fun to. I went along with Josh Hobbs. Actually, we we had a good old time of it. Managed to meet a lot of uh, people who listened to the podcast, so that was great fun. But it was a good fun game as well, and uh, I think there's a lots of there was lots of interesting things to take away. One of them was that we were playing a Premier League side and giving a good account of ourselves. We saw a debut for Ilan Melier, um, and I think a lot of people started feeling a little bit more confident about him being a, a backup goalkeeper. Robbie Gotts played in mid field um which was which was interesting uh, and even Barry Douglas played and wasn't that bad um I'm interested to to just have a chat about what's changed since we played Arsenal in the FA Cup um whether or not you think that the positive signs that we saw there can be translated into the game at the weekend uh, Joe potentially one of the things that has changed is that people 
have seen a lot of Leeds now and seen a little bit of them in the Premier League, I think one of the big taking points uh, from that game was just how shocked everyone was at how Leeds played, um, how we could play against the top Premier League side, You know how we played exactly the same way that we had done in the Championship and maybe people hadn't seen that much of us in the Championship. So perhaps there was a, a little bit of element of surprise in there. Um, I'm sure that Arteta did his homework and he knew exactly how we were going to play, but um, I guess from everyone from everyone else's point of view, um, they didn't necessarily know. Whereas now they've they've seen how Leeds are going to set up and they're 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 used to that setup against top Premier League sides. So I guess that has changed um, in terms of our setup and how we play. Um, I can't spot any any huge differences really. I think it's fairly similar um the lineup was fairly similar um we had Harrison on the right and Alioski on the left um which is a bit different but again you know swap a few of those around and it's pretty much the same style of football that we're going to play let's talk about the the style of football that Arsenal play so Arsenal played a 4-2-3-1 um last season or at least in the game that we played against them um this season it's been more likely to be a 3-4-3 as we've mentioned or actually a 4-3-3 do we think that it will be the three four three or the four three three, Joe? I think it'll be three four three. I think that's what they've played um, most recently and for the past few games. Um, I think Lewis was pretty spot on in naming the lineup. Although um, El Nenny has got COVID, hasn't he? So um, he's going to be out the the starting lineup, which um, I don't think Lewis mentioned. How about you, Tom? How are you feeling about the the way that Arsenal are going to approach this one? Yeah, intuitively, I would think it would be the three four three, but. Honestly, I don't really know. <laughs> and if they play the three four three, then presumably we're going to play the the four four two like we yeah. did against against. Um, I nearly said Portugal then. <laughs> Wolves, <laughs> which makes it even more important that Rodrigo's back. I think because he's by far the best option we've got to play that sort of hybrid role mm. where he pushes up. Yeah. So one of the interesting things about um, about Arsenal is that um, that. Actually, what we what we've talked about when we've talked about teams who play three four three so far, so Wolves and, and Leicester, is that they they form these sort of pressing packs where they have the outside centre back, the outside forward, and then uh, the wing back and this and and the ball near central midfield are sort of forming a a rhombus shape and and pressing in wide areas, um, and it works quite well against Leeds because Leeds obviously do a lot of their build up in the wide areas. Um, Arsenal are a little bit different because in the in their their three four three actually becomes more like a four two three one in possession. So what you'll see is uh, if they play with Kieran Tierney as as a left centre back, he'll actually push up in possession phases into pretty much a, a classic left back um, space. And you'll see that their other two central defenders, it's, it's been Gabriel and Rob Holding, I think in in the last game. But those two will will sort of form a, a centre back partnership. Um, and then you'll see Saka the the um, the left wing back will either push inside uh, as a sort of advanced, uh, well, basically as a 10, or he'll allow Aubameyang to, to come inside and he can push forward down the line as well. Um, so that's a slightly different, I think, approach. Obviously, if they're playing positional play, they're not looking to, to sort of play this high-pressing stuff, so they're using the formation in an entirely different way. I just wondered how you think Bielsa will, will cope with this shift where the 3-4-3 uh, three, three becomes a 4-2-3-1. These things are almost taken care of by the fact that we play the man-marking system, aren't, aren't they? So, um, I suppose it, do, yeah, it it does it does question whether Rodrigo will be pushing up um, 
I guess if, if Tierney's uh, going out and playing as a left back, then we will need someone to mark him instead. So so maybe maybe it will be more of a sort of a, a standard 4-1-4-1 from us, uh, if that is the case. Yeah, I agree with Tom in, in that our man marking uh, is, is definitely going to be a benefit in this game because of all that shifting around that Arsenal can do. Um, it does make me think that maybe Costa will have a tough game in sort of, um, I guess he'll be man marking Saka. Um, and if he is, and if Saka's going into the number 10 role, then that's going to totally um, change things up and maybe take Costa into a position that he's not done um, that much this season. And maybe there'll be some some rotation in the man marking. Maybe there'll be some swapping around if uh, if Bielsa sees that Saka's doing that quite a lot. So it'll be interesting to see to see that for sure. Let's talk about central defensive midfielder. I'm interested to see Calvin Phillips coming back because looking at the underlying numbers this season, it seems as though when he's played the CDM role, he's um, sat a little bit deeper than the other two players. Now, that's interesting for a couple of reasons. One, because I think um, we've seen... Pascal Strauch playing a little bit higher up the field when he's playing whether or not that's a stylistic thing I don't know um, but when you play against a team who play a 3-4-3 three, three, um, those two central midfielders tend to sit either well they will sit fairly deep uh, and so if Calvin Phillips is tasked with man marking one of those two we're going to have to see a game where he actually has to push forward a little bit as well um, so I'm interested to hear uh, what, what your thoughts are going to be on, on maybe Calvin playing a, a little bit more a little bit higher up the field perhaps so he did play in the Wolves game um, and again I think he, he sort of sat fairly deep for that I'd have to re-watch to see what position he played but um, one of the things that that I've talked about a lot anyway this break with with the, particularly this piece I did about Strauch um, compared to Phillips is that is that Phillips is just a more defensive player he just he he it's it, he strikes me as as being a sort of weirdly as as a more of a what I would expect if a defender moved forward from a centre back position into a midfield position which is weird because Strauch is a central defender but um, what what are your thoughts on um, bringing in Calvin Phillips, um, Tom, and how he will play in this game, given that he may have to push forward and, and do a little bit more um, work higher up the field. Well, I think, first of all, I don't think either of the Arsenal central mid- likely central midfielders are particularly amazing passers and ball players who are going to pick out you know incredible uh, cross-field balls. So in that respect, it's perhaps a little less important that, that he's right on them straight away, which I think is... When he plays well, that's the thing that Calvin's really good at is knowing when to sit and when to get tight to his man because when he when he does sit back a bit, that allows him to almost be a second free man at times and that can really help us, especially with quick, quick transitions from the opposition, I think. Um, and when, when he's at his absolute best, you see him snuffing out seven or eight of those kind of uh, attempted through balls per game. Um, I don't have the stats to back that up. That's anecdotal. But um, and, and when you talk about... Uh, Calvin sitting deeper than other players. My suspicion is that, it, it, of course, there'll be an element of it being that's just how he plays. But I think Bielsa probably wants that, and 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 that's Calvin's been coached that way, and he obviously played that role a lot more than either of the other players. So he just he just gets the positioning a little bit better than them, and and that's why he does it. I think Bielsa wants him that deep personally. Yeah, it is an interesting. Um... Uh, one and it's certainly something that I've been thinking about a lot since I wrote that piece and just spent a lot of time watching basically Strauch versus uh, Calvin Phillips and being quite not not amazed but like I found it quite interesting how different the the, the two of them play those those two roles um there's there's definitely I think evidence that 
Leeds progress the ball have, have progressed the ball better with Phillips in that role, but there doesn't seem to be any evidence for Phillips being involved <laughs> in that in that um, progression necessarily. Mm, yeah. Um, I think especially in the in the Palace game, we just we just really were really really poor progressing the ball in the in the final third in wide areas, and that doesn't seem to have any bearing whatsoever on on either Strauch or, or Phillips, but. This is something that we we will see. Um, in terms of the wider squad selection, how do we see Leeds lining up? Um, assuming we're playing a four one four one, which I think it probably will be. Um, how do we expect that to look? Um, is there any? There's not really any controversy here, is there? No, I think it's fairly obvious. It'll be Dallas, Cock, Cooper, Ailing, uh, Melier, and Goal, obviously Phillips or Strauch, depending on if Phillips plays or not. And then Click and Rodrigo in the middle, uh, Harrison and uh, Costa on the wings and Bamford up front. I'd, I'd be surprised if it's anything other than that, unless someone's got an, in, an injury. No sense that Rafinha might get a first start? Unless he's been doing something really amazing in training, I, I can't see it. Mm. Uh, any disagreements there, Joe? No, no disagreements. I was just thinking, uh, just praying that Hernandez was going to be back in the uh, in the squad because uh, mm. that was just a a weird moment to see him left out of the lineup and then Bielsa to come out afterwards and say that there was no injury. Um, and I think Noel Whelan's been sort of planting the seed for it to be a big falling out. Um, so uh, that'll be that'll be what I'll be looking out for in the lineup. It's weird that weird that someone who has a history of falling out with managers would plant a seed like that, <laughs> as if as if everyone is like that. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I do think we really missed the option of having Hernandez come on off the bench against Palace. It was painfully obvious we were lacking creativity in that game. So, yeah, I really hope he is back on the bench. But it's, it it seems from uh, Pablo's Instagram post, which is all the detective work we can really do, that, um, <laughs> that things might be patched up. Or maybe he was just showing respect for our troops. <laughs> Let's talk about the players that we are expecting good performances from. Who has to play well? for Leeds to do well uh, on Sunday Tom um Ailing I'm I'm terrified of uh Aubameyang um because any player cutting in from the left and you know just putting it in the top corner reminds me of the hundreds of goals that Thierry Henry has scored against Leeds in the past um I I I think yeah Aubameyang is such just such a good player in those positions so we really need to and and it does surprise me that um that Lewis was talking about how slow Arsenal's um, build-up players from the back and how they, you know, they very rarely lump it forward because Aubameyang's so dangerous when you just when if you pick the right ball um, over the top, he, he's so dangerous in those sort of positions. So I'm glad of that at least. But yeah, I think I think Ailing needs to play well, um, and probably the wingers. I feel like the last couple of games the wingers haven't been as good as they were. Um, for the rest of the season so it'd be nice for at least one of the wingers to have a really decisive uh, impact on the match Ailing's interesting because it feels as though we haven't really seen him in his like best position for a few games um, so it'd be nice to have I guess he, he played he played central defence against Villa right and then played a r- r- right centre back against Wolves and, uh, and, and Leicester so <clears throat> I guess it feels and he did play against Palace as a right back right so um, but it feels as though it'd be nice for him to sort of have a nice sort of standard get forward do what he does game um which i think this game will lend itself to uh joe anyone you would add to that i guess adding to that i would look at rodrigo 
um, coming back into his role, sort of number 10 slash second striker thing. Um, I really think we've missed that the past couple of games. Um, and him just sort of bringing some creativity into that area is going to be really important for us. And actually, I think this is a game that Bamford might do quite well in. I think he's really high on confidence. He's up there with the top goal scorers this season. He's up there with the top XG, non-penalty anyway. Um, so I think uh, this is going to be Bamford in his in his best form, really. He, we know he's a streaky player. Um, and so we should be looking for this to be one of the games where he can really do well. And I guess the other thing we should mention is that Robin Koch has just been on the end of a 6-0 thrashing by Spain so <laughs> after you know also conceding four goals uh, in his last two games for Leeds so we'll want him to have a decent game just for the sake of his confidence. He is uh, currently at 14 goals conceded in three <laughs> games. Which, uh... <laughs> well I don't know did he play any of Germany's other games? Mm, yeah he did actually but he played in central midfield um, against Ukraine um, so yeah I suppose there is there is that um, but yeah it's, just, it's not not great really is it but here we are um let's talk about how we expect the game to unfold on saturday uh tom how do you look at look uh, think that it will look to um take place take place this is probably the one that i've been least sure about for a while um i i hope that we really take the game the scruff of the neck in the early stages it feels like a lot of the time the first 10 minutes were still feeling team feeling teams out and Obviously, that will probably be the case again, but I'd like us to really, really go at them uh, in the first 10 minutes or 15 minutes. From everything I've heard, and certainly from the experience of the game last season, which is obviously very different, it it feels like you know they they are there to be there to be rattled. Basically, we need to we need to make them fear us. And Joe, how about you? Yeah, I agree with Tom in that I'm really not sure how it will unfold. Um... I am quite looking forward to this one. I think it's going to be a good game and it's nice to to not be against a team that is just going to sit back really deep. So in that sense, I'm looking forward to it. Um, there's also some some great info that Josh Hobbs has sent us in the chat uh, before we recorded, which is just the, the state of the Arsenal uh, squad, which is everyone who is on an international break has played three games straight basically or a couple of them have played two Aubameyang slept on an airport floor or something like that um, mm. so I just wanted to mention that in case anyone hadn't seen that uh, post because I think that could be that could play into our hands again that their players are maybe fatigued a bit um, but that's not me saying that I think Leeds are going to win I, th- I still think it's going to be a difficult game and we should really be looking out for getting caught with moments of magic from Aubameyang and Willian as well, who we haven't mentioned at all. I think um, he can just bring something out of nowhere. So um, hopefully it's an entertaining game and we can pick up at least a point. I'd be quite happy with a point, to be honest. So there you have it. That's the All Starts, aren't we? Arsenal preview. Hope you guys enjoy the game. I will be cobbling together a tactics thread today, so that should be out later in the day. If you like our content and want to see more of it, then you can head over to our Patreon channel. Uh, Patreon just gives us a chance to show you guys a little bit more bonus content. We have loads of stuff over there, written stuff, bonus podcast material. We also put up video analysis of every game that we play. So if that sounds interesting to you, head over to www.patreon.com forward slash all stats, aren't we? Three people who've done that this week are D Hunter, Ben Leonard and Matt Ashton. So thank you guys for joining us. We'll be back on Monday, I believe, with, with a review episode of the Arsenal game. But until then, all that remains for me to do is to say thank you, Joe. Thanks very much. 
And thank you, Tom. Thank you. And we'll see you on Monday. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.